I'm Will Hedrick, and this is a special episode of Dog Ears and Timestamps, a potentially continuing series, though irregularly, where I talk about anime. And more than likely, on all of these episodes, we'll also have a guest host, whose name is Nick Bedoris. Say how's hi, it Nick. going? Um, hey, how's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Nick is a friend from high school, lives in San Antonio, so making these will not be very regularly for that sole reason. Uh, but as frequently as we can, we might do more episodes like this. We'll see how it goes. Maybe it's shit and we won't ever do it anyways, but it's an idea that we've got. In any case, today primarily, and not even just primarily, solely for all intents and purposes, we'll be talking about a single show, a show called March Comes In Like a Lion. It's Japanese title, Sangatsu no Leon. Uh, it's about a young shogi professional. Shogi, if you don't know, is it, it, for all reasoning Japanese chess. Uh, definitely different. Yeah, a lot but different. <laughs> that's the equivalent that most people draw. This anime is based on a manga of the same name, uh, written by a uh, Umino Chika. That's her pin name. Uh, her actual name isn't published, at least on the website that I got all my information from. It's got two seasons that happened over the course of two years, starting in the fall 2016 anime season, which went on for two curs, and then the second season happened a year later in the fall 2017 season, which again went on for two curs, uh, ending with a total of 44 episodes that span a time span of about a year in this story. Uh, the manga is still being published. So, will there be a third season? Likely not. But, if you are interested and you watch the whole show and you want more, the manga is still being published. Starting with that, what did you overall think about it, Nick? I normally don't like slice of life animes. Mm -hmm. They make me feel, and I try to avoid that whenever <laughs> I am uh, trying to consume any sort of like media. Um, and this one definitely made me feel a whole bunch. There's a bunch of relatable things currently for myself that I uh, related to in this anime. I enjoyed it. Uh, I also found it, it was very difficult to watch personally uh, because of those relatable things. Kind of just hit a little too close to home. But I enjoyed it. The characters were cool. Um, there were funny moments in that anime. The art style was a little weird, especially with the mouths. I know we discussed that before. Um, but you were right. You did get used to it by like 10 episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's different from a lot of different anime in that, like you said, the art style is a little bit different. And whenever you think about, whenever your general viewer might think about anime, you'll think about things that come out of, uh, like Aniplex and Kyo Annie and what's the other big one that I'm thinking of? The people that do SAO, um, which there's a definitely a, a winning formula for animating characters. And uh, that's something that you see a lot of. This was done by Studio Shaft, who's done a very wide variety of shows, some of which are sort of legendary, like the Monogatari series, um, some of which are less so, uh, like Mekaku City Actors, which I think me and four other people watched. But and I'm going to look <laughs> up another one right now. Just to make sure, because thinking about it, 
made me think about another show that I considered to be very similar. Uh, no, never mind. That was done by A1, which was the studio that I was trying to think of earlier that did SAO, uh, largely. Um, so yeah, it's definitely coming into it. Like you said, in your experience, having not seen a lot of variety of animation styles on the whole, there's definitely some weird ones that you've seen. I know you've seen like Gurren Lagann. Like you've seen that, right? I have not. Oh, you haven't? I thought you were one of the ones that has. No, I've been meaning to, but again, it's a very old style drawing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a style that's unique to yeah. Studio Trigger, which even then it wasn't Studio Trigger. Um, that was their last one before that studio that they were with folded and then they'd be... Some of them went out and did Studio Trigger on their own and then gave us things like Kill a Kill. Uh, but yeah, it being different from the majority of mm-hmm. anime out there. And while you have seen a lot of anime, or at least more than your average person in America, you haven't seen nearly as much as I have. And so I was about to your say. general, ex- your, your, your sample size is much smaller and therefore more likely to have seen the more popular animation style on the whole. Exactly. Like I was going to bring that up that you are a very big anime ingestion of mm-hmm. anime. I can't talk now. <laughs> um, as opposed to me, I haven't seen an anime in probably two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we look at my anime list, which is a website uh, that I think is probably the most popular of its ilk, the purpose of it is to database all animation, or not all animation, all anime, Japanese animation as we might call it, um, and provide resources you know, in accordance with the database of that nature. Uh, so I keep track of all the shows that I watch on here, and unless I missed some whenever I first was creating my personal database uh, that I had seen, you know, a decade prior to starting that, <laughs> I've completed 259 different anime, which includes, in some cases, shows that get broken up into two seasons, so that number might be slightly misleading, um, but yes, I've seen a lot. I mean, one of those is also Naruto on there, and that's got like, what, a thousand episodes at this point? Yeah, but I haven't seen them all. Um, So, (laughs) yeah, if we think about episodes of anime, I've seen uh, just under 4,000 episodes. Uh, Total watch time is 60.2 days. And you just try to go for like that year, whenever you hit that year mark, you're just like, I'm done with anime. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's a year of my life. God. I'll be done with anime whenever my brain is not quick enough to read the subtitles if I haven't by then learned Japanese. Hmm. So what do you think of it? This is one of my favorite shows of all time. I think that shows even just in my ratings. Um, for the first season, I gave it a 9 out of 10. And the second season, I gave a 10. Out of 10, obviously. The, and, and that sort of tracks with the general ratings of it on uh, MAL, my anime list. Um, the first season, its popularity ranking is uh, a little bit higher than the popularity of the second season, which that just means how many people actually watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or at least for who then went and tracked it on MAL. You know, uh, it, The first season is also ranked number 135, while the second season is ranked number 10. So while it Damn. was watched by less people, it was more highly rated by the people who watched it. I actually like the first season better. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I would have enjoyed the second season a lot more if I knew more about Shogi. It was mm-hmm. very heavy in the Shogi side in the second season, while opposed to the first season, while we're introducing characters and setting up like 
like depression is a huge thing about this anime mm-hmm. um, with everybody in it because I kind of experience all different levels of depression. Um, so I really enjoyed that first season because one relatable uh, to me and two, I loved the imagery that they used. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's definitely one of the better parts of this show is the literally speaking yeah, the imagery. I was looking for a more eloquent word, um, but yeah, it, the, the art that's done, the symbolism that's done, the attention to detail in both of those things when it's important mm-hmm. is remarkable. Uh, certainly compared to, because when you've watched as much as I have, there's a, a definite uh, chance that a lot of it is going to be trash. And I've seen a lot of trash. In the same way that you might watch a bad movie. Yeah. You know, uh, every now and then you catch something that's bad. Depending on how passionate you are about something like movies, books, games, whatever it is, you might even decide that it's important to intake bad examples of those so that you can better educate yourself about the nature of that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's Um, nice to have like the good and bad of everything because it makes you appreciate the good so much more. mm. Like watching like a terrible movie and watching like Interstellar, (laughs) best movie of all time, don't at me. (laughs) Um, It makes you just like, it's like, man, like. Uh, what was that Funhouse movie that we watched? Oh, was that um, Samurai Cop? Samurai Cop. Yeah, that was really bad. <laughs> Seeing that and then like going to watch like a, a regular movie is like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be done. Like this is good. And, like it makes you appreciate that next movie you watch a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then even with that, obviously Samurai Cop's really bad. But Samurai Cop is a movie that was filmed on a, you know. $20,000 budget, if that, if that by people it. who they're not even dreaming of being auteurs of the field. So you can grade it on a sliding curve. Like, yes, it's bad, but they're not trying to be good. <laughs> I feel the, like someone left that editing room and was like, this is gold. Maybe. This is perfect. Who knows? There's always some crazy person. Whereas you'll get movies by James Cameron that are on, you know, multi-million dollar budgets have are star studded with people that are respected across the industry. Mm-hmm. James Cameron certainly thinks he's a very important person. Um, it, 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 the last three movies from him, maybe uh, you know, some of them could be debated, uh, are not good movies. They're they're spectacles. I'm trying to think, the last three movies he made was the last one Avatar. I didn't. Last three that he directed. I the, did not enjoy Avatar. But, it's a I spectacle mean, and was worth watching in the theater. Gorgeous movie. But I've seen Pocahontas. I've seen Fern Gully. Like, I know this story. Dancing with Wolves. Just, <laughs> just hashing out a new... Not a new... That's the wrong word. The same the, story. Yeah, just using the same story in the backdrop of a pseudo-new environment. It's not even necessarily a new environment. Mm-hmm. It's a native place that you're going into. Blah, blah, you know, this is a different conversation. Uh, but, you know, it's... An example of someone who thinks they're very good at it, and in different respects are, uh, but as a whole picture, aren't. And not even just him, but the the whole project and everybody involved in it. You know, is all you know very good to different degrees for different reasons. Blah blah. blah. But that gets to be graded at the same scale that Interstellar is graded at, as opposed to Samurai Cop, which yeah. is not on the same scale by no. any means. <laughs> uh, whereas, you know, I, I would maybe give. A lot of, as a whole, the project of Avatar, like a C, uh, I would give Samurai Cop just a D. 
not like a Z, because its scale is not the same. <laughs> it's, it's an adjacent scale, you know? So it, it, it's not a fair comparison necessarily. But so where I was started with that, the purpose of that was to say that even whenever you then watch garbage, you it, it helps educate you in the craft, or as a viewer at least, to be able to not only appreciate the good things versus the bad things, but to understand why some things might be bad mm-hmm. or to maybe even appreciate the bad things because you can see that it was done by one person or something like that, you know, uh, trying their best. <laughs> but this is back to uh, March comes in like a lion is in my opinion, a near, if not actual masterpiece of a show, uh, not even just anime, of a show, of storytelling. And it's done by a storied and respected group of people. Um, so this is the best example of how things can be. <laughs> it was really good. Like I said, I enjoyed it. Um, it's definitely not the best anime. Because like I said, not usually my cup of tea whenever I do watch anime on the rare occasion. Um, but... Yeah, it was good. Uh, the characters were... I mean, almost all of them were just good characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was your favorite? I I jumped back and forth. I think overall, my favorite character is uh, Shimada, the older shogi player that Rei, our main character, goes into the workshop with. Um, he's, he's like 31 or 32, something like that. Um, I think that he has the most compelling story uh, not the most interesting i think that kyoko has the most interesting story his adoptive sister not even adoptive because he doesn't actually get adopted by that family uh stepsister he well that's not that either um he he gets taken in as an apprentice and his the the father yeah. is just his ward um so he's not even adopted he's she's just like a um the, she's the daughter of his wards, uh, not ward, his uh, caretaker's, um, his, his caretaker's daughter is what it is. Uh, and, but I think that Shimada has the most compelling story. He, coming from a small town, wanting to do the one thing that he can do, which is play shogi really well and really uh, represent his hometown in a way that would make the people that supported him proud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I have him and Ray as my two favorite characters. Mm-hmm. Um, like both of their stories, I thought were really interesting. Um, Ray, just I related with a lot of his thought processes a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of like the self putting down, uh, like I'm a burden to these people kind of things. Um, and then with Shibata, again, uh, like you said, that he's like kind of brought up by this town who is just like hey, like, we believe in you, and he doesn't want to let any of those people down. And they've had that uh, that banner above the train station for, like, years. Just, like, mm-hmm. constantly, like, hey, you're not doing what you want to do for this town. It's kind of, like, haunting him. That's certainly the way that he, at times, Sees views it. it. Mm-hmm. But then he does, like everybody in this show, it, it, the show does a good job of Character showing... <laughs> the duality of all thought. <laughs> yeah. 
and that, you know, even when you're just at the supermarket, you might experience something and in the span of 10 seconds, think two ways about it, you know, mm-hmm. it, 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 you know, that being on a micro scale, on a macro scale, you know, he does definitely see that sign and whenever he's at his worst thinks, you know, this is like haunting in a way. And this, you know, is an example of something that weighs me down and I don't know that that's good for me. But then whenever he sees the effect that his journey has on the people of his hometown, the positive effect that it has mm-hmm. on it, because it is purely positive. Uh, he sees through the clouds and says, Oh no, this is something that I can fight for. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You brought up Kyoko earlier. I mm-hmm. thought she was going to have a much bigger presence in this. Cause at the beginning yeah. of this anime, they use like flashbacks for Ray and she was a part of that a lot. Yeah, she's definitely well. So, I guess to establish a little bit more of the setting, the our protagonist Kiriyama Ray, uh, his parents die. His parents and his sister die in a car accident, and he gets taken in by his father's old friend, uh, who is a uh, professional shogi player. And that's where and Ray had already been playing shogi with his dad because his dad used to be a professional shogi player, but he had to take over his father's uh, hospital and so he couldn't be professional shogi player anymore so ray is learning how to play he's into it because it's the only not the only thing but it's the 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 biggest bonding thing that he has with his dad uh and so then his dad's friend steps in to effectively adopt him uh from that point on and ray goes to this person's household uh, becomes effectively a shogi prodigy and this alienates the two siblings that he's with, Kyoko and um, Ayumu. The brother and sister, Ayumu goes basically quiet and becomes like a neat shut-in. Doesn't really He goes to school still, but he doesn't do anything but play games. He doesn't really have any drive to do anything. And Kyoko starts acting out. And so that's why we see Kyoko have a bigger impact on Rei realizing that he would be better off leaving the house as soon Mm -hmm. as he could because she's the loud one that's attacking him uh, both mentally and in a couple of situations physically uh, that's making noise in the household, you know, Mm -hmm. whereas everything else is just like really awkward silence and coldness. So it does sort of seem certainly in the first season where we get more of that because we're establishing a story. Uh, yeah, Kyoko does seem like she's going to have a bigger part, but once we sort of resolve her small arc to the extent that the show cares to, mm-hmm. we don't see her again. No, not like I think in the second season we see her like twice. Well, yeah, we uh, we see her. The last time we see her is whenever we're done uh, humanizing and Goto, yeah, the the her boyfriend who is a part of the stress that is in Kyoko's household because. She's seeing him. He's an older man. He's got a wife who's stuck in the hospital. It's, you know, you know, a difficult situation. He's just using her. To some degree. I don't think that it's just using, though. I think that it's really. Well, Okay, so now I've seen it twice through and several years apart because I watched this first whenever it was airing. Mm -hmm. And I had a bunch of different feelings than I do now watching this a second time through two and three years later. Um, I think I understand things in a different way. Given that certainly our first exposure to Goto is that he's a villain. Yeah. And the way that Kyoko sort of treats uh, Rei in a lot of situations, even at the time, I didn't think that she was necessarily a villain so much as 
he kind of broke her family apart and she yeah. just doesn't handle it the right way or at least in a productive way right or wrong i don't think really has any bearing on that conversation the but i don't think that it's that he's just using her there's definitely a lot that could be said about it from a bunch of different perspectives from a bunch of different people that might have experienced things like that to varying degrees uh but I think that he does, to some degree, genuinely care about Kyoko. But at the same... I think that he understands it's a complicated situation, and he's the kind of person that doesn't care that it's complicated and doesn't mm-hmm. give a shit that anybody thinks anything about that. So I, yeah. that, that's how I feel about Goto. I think that he is a human. I think that, like everybody else in this show, there's nothing one-dimensional about any of them. No, like, at first they definitely put him as, like, a just terrible person mm-hmm. whenever you first meet him and you're like oh man like fuck that guy he's a piece of shit mm-hmm. and then throughout that because we see him at the end of the it, like it's a half episode arc that we get mm-hmm. of him yeah and then we see him once or twice more after that where he just comes into the room and says something about whatever mm-hmm. else is going on because um, a lot of this story takes place at the the shogi local hall. shogi hall that everybody attends the majority of our characters attend uh, for the sake of them all being professional shogi players. So we see the characters filter in and out here and there. Yeah, like whenever um, you kind of get those like half little episodes, like not episodes, but like those half like little like steps in whenever he's like actually sticking up for people. And it's like, hey, like, no, like these two people have made it so much farther than you two will ever be. Right. And that so, part like, where he respect. steps in to defend Shimada mm-hmm. uh, because there's two younger shogi players watching the match happening on TV and they're sort of making fun of him because he's and the running joke with Shimada is that he's only 31, but he's like an old man. Mm -hmm. His hair is falling out. He's in awful health constantly, Uh, but they're sort of making fun of him and he steps in and says, you've never even been in a title match. Who are you to say anything? Blah, blah. blah. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, that is, I think the start of, if I can remember correctly, that if that's not the start of that section where they they humanize him, it's part of that section. And so that's a good way for storytelling-wise for them to introduce the idea that we're going to forgive some of the hard feelings we might yeah. have for him. But so that's he's a, a really good example. Him and Kyoko are really good examples about how everybody in this show is, like the great Shrek said, an onion with many layers. Did you really just another great example of animation? <laughs> this is my swamp. I mean, I loved some of like the the stuff that they did with uh, the imagery, like I said earlier, um, with uh, the Kyoto and the family, the kookaburra, how they would place their eggs in a, another nest, mm-hmm. and that egg would grow and then take over that nest, and because the kookaburra is usually a lot bigger than. Right, uh, mm-hmm. the birds that they eat. well, even after immediately after it would hatch, it then pushes all the other eggs mm-hmm. out, and then the other species bird comes back and raises it, not knowing any better. Mm-hmm. And he sort of and Ray sort of feels like that's him. And at least for what we're shown, that was sort of his aha moment. Yeah, in, in him realizing, I just need to become a professional as quickly as possible so that I can become self sufficient and move out of this house and let them have their lives back. Well, I mean, with also like the depressive aspect of that, like that first season, I do think that with depression, I know with like a lot of the times whenever I become like really like down, uh, like open with my depression, um, I dive into something 
just one thing and just give it everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I did it with league. I did it with working out. <laughs> um, like that just becomes your life. And I think that's what they did with Ray. Cause I mean, he was already playing Shogi before and then the accident happened and then he just, this was his life now. Yeah. And like he says more than once, he sort of realizes in that moment when his surrogate father comes to rescue him from the funeral uh, he realizes that that's the only path available yeah. to him. Uh, not even, but he's also like four or five at that point. So he doesn't have all the critical thought of somebody older to the point where he could have the capability of thinking, well, I can dive into this or, you know, whatever or whatever. In the mind of a child that has lost everything else, that's the only thing remaining. And certainly only not the only thing, but the main thing that connects his surrogate father and his actual father being Shogi, mm-hmm. that this is now everything that is available to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's, and I don't know that because we're not going to see the years to come in the rest of his life, I don't know that he necessarily, at least not, suffers from a clinical depression so much as that his family died <laughs> and then his uh, surrogate family three-fourths of them don't accept him. <laughs> and so he's just like, just everything is bad. Yeah, you know? I mean, he did not, I mean, he didn't have like a good childhood at all. Right. Uh, Certainly he, with his ability to really overcome it in the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, with the help of the uh, Kawamoto family that we spend a lot of time with, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they sort of bring him out of that, you know, funk. Because we come up, we come upon him within the first couple months of him having moved out. Yep. Uh, and no, it's been about a year because it's been several years since he'd been back home. So at the end of the anime, yeah, but they they say several years in the subtitles, which is a translation of you Touché. know another language. Touche. Uh, he's he becomes a professional shogi player at fifteen. He has to save up money so that he can move out, mm-hmm. and then whenever he moves out, he's seventeen. So at most maybe six months is when we first come upon him um for you know very loose math Uh, but then he falls in with the kawamoto family this loving family of three sisters and a grandfather who have had their own family losses uh and he they help him get out of it along with his teacher uh at school whenever he decides to go back to school hayashida sensei and uh, the club that he joined. So a lot of other factors bring him out of it. Yeah. But they were like the first step. Yeah. And, and then him being able to continue that trend because then we stop really focusing on him. Mm-hmm. He, uh, we move on into the other characters mostly for the second season. We still deal with him, obviously, because he's our vehicle for most of these characters. But uh, with him being able to get out of it and be able to maintain it without at least us seeing any real work being done, I wouldn't say that he's got like clinical depression or anything like that. I mean, I wouldn't know. I mean, then like we're, I, yeah, we're only shown what we're shown. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, with a lot of the things that he did with like kind of just like sitting in a room at times with just nothing, not eating for days or barely eating. Yeah, but that was all what we see in the beginning. Yeah. Um, I would say like it's kind of classic depression. <laughs> yeah, but he's only, you know, at most six months removed yeah. from, you know, the household where he wasn't welcome and 
still having not really, I think whenever we first meet him, he maybe has known the Kawamoto's for, I would say at most two months. Yeah, I would say two or three. And even then, he's still like kind of keeping them at a distance because he just doesn't know what to think well, about he anything. He doesn't want to be a burden on them. He doesn't. Yeah, that's definitely, you know, his kind of surface thought. But I think to a deeper degree, he doesn't know how to interact with anybody for any reason at yeah. all. He at some point does say that he remembers being a little bit more agreeable in a general sense whenever he was a child before everything happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then everything happens and he then doesn't have anyone to talk to about anything, anyone to have any sort of camaraderie with or anything like that. So he then just becomes a solitary person. And so uh, someone who thinks that they are naturally and without any other option, a solitary person isn't going to then just immediately start ingratiating themselves with other people. Yeah. Despite any of that. But we see him come out of that and is able to, he has another kind of aha moment at some point where he realizes that he wants them to depend on him as much as he depends on them. And that's part of having a relationship with people and blah, blah, blah. So he starts to regain. And that more than anything is what I think this story is about, is about people trying to regain something that they've lost. Yeah, it's trying to fill that, like, not, I don't want to say void, but I mean, that's the thing that's just popping in my head. Like, because that's what Kuragawa, not Kuragawa, uh, Kyoto? No, not Kyoto. Who? His, um... Uh, Ward's sister. Kyoko. Kyoko. That was close. <laughs> names. Never mind Japanese names. Uh, that's what she was doing with the, his rival. Goto? Goto. Mm-hmm. She was trying to feel like that father figure. That's why she went over to someone who's older. Right, yeah. I mean, a lot of the people are trying to fill something in their void. Like, uh, the three sisters lost their, their mother uh, and their grandmother. So they kind of found their father. With, and their father. Trying to fill that void with the main character. Ray. Ray. I don't know that they're trying to... I, I mean, he definitely does provide something. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think that he is filling the void of their lost mother, grandmother, and the father who's alive but they don't keep in contact with. Uh, I think that, at least for the most part, the oldest sister, Akari, has sort of dealt with it uh, as much as... A 23-year-old can. Um, but Because we don't really see... The, the only journey of those three that we see, because one of them is also an infant. Uh, the, the only journey of the three of them that we see is in Hinata, the middle sister. Mm-hmm. The 15-year-old. Hina? Yeah. He's well, cool. Hinata is uh, her full name. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, aha, I got one. The, <laughs> the, she's the only one that we see any sort of real character development with. And that's not even about the loss. It's about something that's going on at school. It's a different loss. Well, yeah, she loses, you know, her ostensibly her best friend. Mm-hmm. She never outright says it's her best friend, but it's you know definitely the it one is. that she, uh, she talks the most to. Um, it, but it's not even how it is to lose that. And then she does have a bit of a realization that towards the end of the second season about loss of things and just how that's a natural progression of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whenever the big thing that we see with her is going on, it's not about the loss of uh, Chihochan. It's a no. it's about the bullying that's going on. Yeah. And how does she deal with that? And how does she, you know, reconcile herself with the problem that other people can sometimes pose to you? Yeah. Uh, and, and that doesn't have anything to do with the loss of her family. No. To any degree. 
so I think because of that, at least from a storytelling perspective, we're left to assume that they've all dealt with the loss of the family to whatever degree that they need to to now move forward with a productive life. Because they're all very positive about it until the moment that they have to think about it and someone asks them about it. Yeah, I mean, you're right about that. I mean, they, you know, like, even in, like, the opening, they're shown in, like, because, like, the whole opening is very dark. It's filled with, like, a lot of water imagery about, like, drowning and, like, roots and trees, mm-hmm. like, dragging you down and shadows. And even, like, they are, because you see, like, an outline of them just, like, glowing. Because, like, there is, like, one hope at the moment. Right. Because uh, they do bring such, like, this, like, positive vibe and like but there are some like real moments with them whenever like uh the older sister uh breaks down a couple times whenever she's like in the kitchen right but in the same way that you might grieve over a lost grandparent yeah several years later Mm -hmm. we also don't know how exactly how long ago it was that they Mm -hmm. had died we know that i'm pretty sure akari was finishing high school whenever her mother died uh so she would have been 18, 19. Yeah. And it's now been four, five years or so. So they've had time to reconcile mm-hmm. with it. Uh, it's not as... And even Ray, no, we don't ever see him, except for once, really sort of uh, mourn the loss of his family. We see him having conflicted opinions about and emotions about what happened, you know, in his second home. Mm-hmm. Uh but the only time that we see him visibly upset about the loss of his actual family is in the flashbacks of the funeral. And then uh, in the one time that he thinks about how his sister was lost whenever the youngest mm-hmm. is crying because she had fallen and hurt himself or hurt herself whenever he was babysitting her. And it just triggered some memory that mm-hmm. uh, you know made him cry. But that's just mourning in the way that you might suddenly think about how your grandfather died you know, 10 years ago. And it just... Happened to be the right moment for it to trigger an emotion with him. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that the Kalamoto family has more or less moved on. The only times that we see them upset are whenever Akari is just at a loss because of the bullying that's going on at Hina's school. Mm-hmm. And she just thinks back, you know, what would mom have done? Yeah. And, you know, I'm unable to fulfill the promise that I made to her and blah, blah, blah. There's other things going on. Um, and, uh, then during the Obon Festival, which is a festival that is entirely about remembering your lost loved ones. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that they've moved on from I it. I mean, Momo and uh, Hina, I think, were too young to even, like, really... Yeah, Hina has some memories of them. Mm-hmm. Momo has has to have literally none, because she's, like, four or five. Yeah. Uh, and even during the Obon Festival, she's asking questions like, what are we doing? Because <laughs> you know, yeah. she just doesn't understand. She's a child. Um, what killed but, them? I don't, did they never went over that, did they? I don't think so. I think that it must have been some sort of accident or it happened very quickly back to back that the grandmother and the mother died because we see the mother in the hospital mm-hmm. and assumedly the grandmother's dead before that. Yeah. I would so, so who knows? Um, but I don't think we yeah, we don't really get told. Yeah. We can believe that the mother dies of some illness because she's in the hospital. Yeah, in I, mean, her I was thinking moments. childbirth at that point because I mean, since Momo is so young, it's definitely the- a possibility. If not, then soon after mm-hmm. some other illness, yeah, you know, was part of it. But you know, that's not something that's explored. Uh, so whatever. 
Um, so I guess the, the, the general arc of the entire thing is Ray becomes a professional shogi player. That's where we start with him. He's only been a professional shogi player for, you know, the, the time frame that we've sort of set aside. I think at one point he does actually say so. I, I, I meant to make a note of it, but I forget. And uh, first, his journey with himself. How does he deal with everything, come out of the darkness? How does he decide that he actually does want to be a professional shogi player? Because up until a point, it's just the only option he ever thought he had. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does eventually say, no, this is what I want to do. Um, and then we meet the Kawamoto family. We see their story to varying degrees. We see the stories of the other people that filter in and out of the shogi hall. Ray's uh, friend. <laughs> they're friends, but at first they're not really friends, at least not in Ray's opinion. Uh, Nikaido. Uh, kind of, yeah. We uh, the, the other people in the Shoyi Hall. We see a lot of Shimada, like we were talking about earlier. We see a little bit about Goto. We uh, towards the end, some of my favorite episodes. Um, we see a, a bit of a story about um, the one of the the oldest professional Shoyi player at this. Well, not maybe not the oldest, but at least the oldest in the uh, upper class of Shoyi players. Oh, the key show for the, the key show tournament. Um, I loved the imagery that they used with him because uh, we just got past those episodes today and like seeing those like having him like <clears throat> wear like the the banners of like all the people that had to quit before him and him like taking on that responsibility like I thought that was really cool uh, especially whenever like he was about to lose like all the banners were kind of like disappearing like well this isn't your isn't your uh, job anymore so sucks to suck and then the hymn's like no I, I have to do this for all these people Yanagi Hara Sakutaro say that again <laughs> Yanagi Hara oh. Sakutaro yeah Kisho Yanagi Hara-san uh, they call him Kisho because he has by the end of the show won the Kisho tournament 10 times allowing him the official title of the eternal Kisho and we see that 10th championship be won out against Shimada-san, the mm-hmm. person that you know we've been following for now a little while, which would have been his first major title. Uh, but, you know, this arc is about, like you were saying, uh, carrying on the hopes of your generation. You're the last one standing. Uh, you're He's going to become, you know, something that, for all we know, you know, we're not given a thorough history of all things Shogi in Japan. Uh, but he might be the only eternal Kisho for all mm-hmm. we know to be able to win it 10 times consecutively. That's a big thing. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not just him. He's it's, it's all those banners that he was carrying with him. They yeah. all won with it. Right. Yeah. That's, it's definitely very symbolic of that. Uh, I, those are some of my favorite episodes. Those two or three. Um, there's a lot going on in there that speaks to the story of, you know, really any, individual person or humanity as a whole uh you know tones about legacy and pride and kinship and just you know a bunch of different things are being explored in that through the eyes of a 66 year old man it's just really interesting stuff at those couple of episodes i'm sure a lot of people have felt like the feelings like i have to do this for these people uh right some uh somebody or one other person uh it's like i i can't fail because of this Mm -hmm. i I know I've felt that a couple times, uh, where it's like I have to, I have to do good. Like for my job, for instance, I have a job that was kind of given to me on like a silver platter, and so 
the person that did help me get this job, like, I want them to look good. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there, it's like, I can't fuck up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the the idea of, you know, wanting to do something for someone else uh, that, you know, means something to you to whatever degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in relation to the specific thing, the job, you know, that relation or whatever. And then amplify that. By a thousand. By, yeah, a thousand for the, I think we can probably assume, 20 or so years, certainly since his best friends in the organization mm-hmm. left. It, you know, so he, for at least that long, he's been carrying their banners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at, at various times feeling like it's too much uh, or whatever. Um, but then it's also a slightly different dynamic because, you know, they didn't give him the position in the shogi hall. They just came up together and then due to life and the unsustainability of being any sort of professional athlete or performer of some degree, uh, they couldn't continue on. But mm-hmm. he was good enough to continue on. And so then, you know, this thing that was all of it, that was everyone's dream, he gets to carry that on for everybody that couldn't continue. Yeah. I mean, um, it's also, it's a, it's a weight, but it's also mm-hmm. like a big drive for him. Yeah. It's definitely... Like everything else that we've talked about so far, <laughs> something that he goes back and forth on, you know, it, it means several different things at any given point in time. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think that, that that's one of the more interesting parts in the show. I think that that, certainly with it being towards the end of the show, is an important arc to see at that time because it kind of sums up a lot of different things that are happening from the perspective of someone who's probably gone through much if not most of the things that all of our other characters have gone mm-hmm. through who are considerably younger um, than he is. So we get to see like a, a new angle on the same idea from someone who has already been through everything maybe several times over that everybody else has. And then obviously we start to get more of the wrap-up towards the end of the show uh, besides that. But I mean, that's my favorite part. Yeah, I mean, that was like one of like the highlights. Like they did a really good job like like animating like there's the setting mm-hmm. because like Chogi's not a very exciting thing i could like see i mean they're a little dramatic with the placements of the tiles uh i don't know if that's how they actually do it or if it's just a <laughs> stylistic choice in this anime i think more than anything it's to represent the emotions of the players yeah um certainly like anything there might be some dramatic individuals we definitely do see a couple um, but I think on the whole, yes, it's meant to give personification to the emotions that are supposed to be in the players mm-hmm. because they'll do things like, you know, the very dramatic placement and then come back to them and they're stone faced, yeah. at least the more experienced ones. Um, so I think that's what that was, that's supposed to be <laughs> as well as maybe a bit of a muscle flex on, you know, look what we can do. <laughs> we can animate real well. <laughs> a lot of tiles being picked up and put down that little clicking noise. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Shogi's not, like, the most exciting topic, but I was surprised at how much I enjoyed this anime that was based off of Shogi. <laughs> right. Yeah. It certainly does... Shogi just starts off as the vehicle for the story mm-hmm. um, and providing a more unique vehicle than other stories do. Uh, but then the once we get away from it just being a vehicle, it then does become more a part of the story. And 
becomes not just a a vehicle of delivering characters to different locations and experiences, but becomes a vehicle for showing the way that things are going through the characters' minds. Mm-hmm. Um, there's rarely a part that we're just literally watching Shogi. It happens in maybe at the most 10 second bursts two or three times. Yeah, I mean, it's not too often. Uh, there are some episodes where it is very like high prevalence throughout the episode where they're kind of sitting there just kind of staring at each other and there's a lot of monologuing between the two of them or just one of them. And then the tiles moving around every once in a while. Um, yeah, but those are character moments. It's character moments, exactly. I mean, I'm not saying that we're just sitting there like watching them move tiles. Right, right. They definitely did a really good job of like, because I mean, apparently these things go on for 12 hours, which blew my mind. <laughs> definitely depends on the match, obviously. Uh, Could you imagine doing something for 12 hours that's like that thought intensive? No, and that's why I don't have a job doing that. <laughs> no, that would be terrible. Yeah. Like, I would think that these people would be like mentally exhausted after that. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely, I've worked 12 and 13 hour shifts doing computer repair uh, where, except for very brief moments in between where I run and grab a Snickers or something like that, which they obviously also take breaks, you know, in their matches. Uh, But, you know, aside from those, maybe a quick 30 second burst that I scroll through Facebook while I wait for something to load, you know, or run to grab a Snickers and I just smash it right quick. But oftentimes I'll actually just be eating while I'm fixing a computer. You know, there there have been times, not very common, but there have been times where I've spent 12, 13 hour shifts where I am firing on all cylinders the whole time. Mm-hmm. And it is extremely exhausting. Um, it's not the same level of mental activity that I assume these guys are going through. Uh, but I don't know that because I've never played Shogi. And I've never played it to any sort of competitive level. Uh, so... <laughs> You know, I can't compare the two, but I think I have an idea. And yes, um, it's extremely mentally exhausting. I mean, whenever I did, like, try to do, like, any sort of, like, competitive League of Legends back in the day, like, there were, like, 40-minute matches where, like, on average, whenever we get close to that hour mark, we were just, like, fucking just drain. And right, We would do, like, yeah. the best two out of three. So if, like, one of them, if we got to that third match... Potentially you're playing for three hours, yeah. not counting breaks. Yeah, then usually there's, like, a... 10 minute break in between those right right so like by that third game if it's going to an hour-long game you're just like fuck me just i want out i want out i don't care (laughs) who wins i don't i just i don't want to think anymore right yeah so like that's how i kind of thought of it It it's like they're sitting here doing like quick moves this whole entire time sometimes but for 12 hours straight that's four times longer than like the longest league game that i've played basically right match Mm -hmm. um so i was just like I was mentally exhausted after that third hour. Couldn't even imagine after 12 hours how, like, defeated you must feel or, like, the amount of just, like, yes, fuck you, I won. Right, yeah. Like, the satisfaction and, like, that defeating feeling must be amplified by a thousand. Right. Yeah, and I think that that is, even just that is another thing that's, you know, very person to person and we get shown that several times. Um, and certainly depending on the match as well, obviously some of them are far higher stakes than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might just be playing like your, you know, run of the mill match, you know, of the week that you have to play. Uh, maybe it's one of your placement matches. Maybe you're in a tournament, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So definitely some of them you might let go and just be like, well, I lost and 
that's upsetting, but whatever, I already won eight matches of my ten placement matches. I'm yeah. fine yeah. for this, you know, period. Um, you might not then immediately go to the bar afterwards. You, yeah. know? <laughs> you might just go home. <laughs> what did you think of, uh, what was his name? It was Sogu? The white-haired guy? Soya. Soya. The Meijin, the reigning master of all shogi. Yes. Uh, he's, you know, we get very little with him. And even when we do, it's half an episode. Uh, I thought he was hyped up so much. I don't... Well, I think that he was made out the whole time to be exactly what he ended up being. He's just this sort of unattainable person that is outside of all the things that he's involved with. Uh, so he's, you know, the the, the reigning top-ranked par- character in... Or player is the word I was looking for in Japanese uh, organizational shogi. He currently holds like three titles in perpetuity uh he's one of counting ray our main character five shogi players that went pro in middle school and um of those professional uh shogi or players that went professional in middle school one of the ones that they call meijin which is master effectively Mm. Uh, everybody presumes that ray will then go on to be one as well because the other four did um Makes sense. He uh, is constantly referred to as a child of God. Uh, he's eccentric in the way that geniuses often are characterized as. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't really interact with anybody. Or it's due to being deaf. Well, yeah, we find out that he's deaf yeah. in that last moment. Uh, but even before then, you know, he's painted as this outside of everybody figure yeah he's above everything and and i don't think that he intends it to be that way i don't think he's ever depicted as intending it to be that way he just is yeah everybody agrees and nobody has a problem with it he walks in the room everybody stares at him right because he's you know he's like a celebrity in that world he's like they say the child of god and uh he's something that they haven't seen in a very long time Mm -hmm. uh, ostensibly and potentially might not see for a very long time after that uh so he's this thing that is to be revered if you care about that world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then even whenever we end up spending a little bit more time with him and getting to know some things, like the fact that he is periodically deaf for an unknown reason, the doctors chalk it up to stress, but he doesn't continue to go to the doctor for very long. So, you know, extended testing and figuring out doesn't happen. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's an answer that's not sought. And, but even whenever he then becomes humanized a little bit, even in those moments, he's still periodically shown visually as somebody that's literally glowing and mm-hmm. emanating light. So, you know, even though he gets brought down to earth a little bit, even in his reactions to these facts, like you're deaf and it comes in and out, you're not literally deaf, but you are. <laughs> Like, you know, your ears have the capacity to work. They just don't. You, yeah, it doesn't always. Um, he then, you know, is so serene about it. And, you know, the silence suits me. You know, what normal person says that? That's Or not even normal. What person can you think of would say that? I don't think I know anybody that would say that. Somebody who's deaf. <laughs> well, maybe someone... Who was born deaf or has been deaf for an extremely long time. He's been in and out deaf for 10 yeah. years. Um, but 
to say as it's happening, the silence suits me. You know, that's something that's not by a lot of stretches of people's imagination, something that you would conceive somebody would be okay with. Yeah, I mean... You you might reconcile with it 20 years later, (laughs) but to, you know, maybe... Because we don't know when he says that. It's whenever Ray's talking to the uh, the chairman. uh, You know, I think we can assume that at most it's like three years into Mm -hmm. it happening and them trying to figure out, you know, what it is that's going on. You know, to be that fresh in it and to just be like, no, actually, I think I prefer this. You know, mm-hmm. that's very abnormal. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, it, you know, I guess where I'm going with this is that even whenever we do get shown human aspects of him by finally being able to interact with him, he's still so different from any other human that you might be able to conceive. Yeah. Because, um, like, whenever they, like, show him at, like, doing that interview and that person, like, asks him that question, he gives, like, a completely different answer. You're just like... Wait, what? Yeah. Like, I don't know that that necessarily fits what I asked you. <laughs> I was very confused about that. I was like, okay. And it's like, did you just choose not to hear it? Right. You just like, it was like, oh yeah, I'll give you this answer instead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you kind of find out like, he's got like a little lost and he's like not waking up on the train. I was like, all right, something's going on with this guy. Like, right. He's not. Well, we see that at him. first even uh, when, uh, during his match in the Lion King tournament against Shimada mm-hmm. and Ray runs into him down by the riverbank at the hotel and he's just staring at the river and it's raining and mm-hmm. the chairman has to come find him and be like oh my god what the fuck are you doing we have to go in there it's time for the party and all mm-hmm. this stuff blah 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 and he also uh, I don't think ever we, at least we don't hear him say anything until the point that we do hear him say something which is whenever he's answering the questions during the commemorative match uh, opening ceremonies no He says something whenever they're doing the party for the Lion King tournament, but we don't hear it. Uh, We hear Shimada say he said something, and we visually see his mouth move, but Mm -hmm. we don't hear him say it. And I think that that is, one, because it's coming uh, as a flashback from Shimada's perspective, and I think that it also still at that point represents that he's not somebody that we can attain even in interaction mm-hmm. uh, because he's outside of even us as the omniscient viewer. Um, so I think there's some symbolism in the purpose of having him not actually said it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, also like uh, the chairman even says like, yeah, like people who have versed him a lot, they, they, they know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, I think him and Sh- uh, Shimada have versed each other before. I don't think this was their first time. They definitely have a lot. Uh, it's kind of led us to believe that it had up until that point in the Lion King tournament, uh, that it had been a long while since Mm -hmm. they had faced each other, but they're the same exact age. They came up at the same time. Mm -hmm. So in the past they had played a lot, but they may not have played frequently enough for Shimada to catch on to it since he became deaf. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because as the chairman says, he was always kind of aloof to begin with. And so a lot of those behaviors were easily written off as just, well, he's just, you know, he's an eccentric genius. Like, yeah. you know, I can't force him to talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> Who am I to force the child <laughs> of God to talk to me, you know? <laughs> Speak to me, right. please. But that's, that, you know, I guess that was a, a relatively long-winded way of saying how I felt about him. <laughs> uh, what did you think about him on the whole, I guess? Yeah, I, I thought he was 
I liked the character, like after like going through like through and through, but I was a little disappointed because I thought he was like overhyped. I thought there was going to be a little bit more to him versus uh, the main character. Mm-hmm. Um, besides that, like that one match, right? Um, that's why whenever we were watching it, I was like, oh, there, "There's only one match." You're like, "Yeah, it was just a commemorative match." I was like, "Not best like two out of three. He's like, "No, nah, just one." I was like, "Well, they weren't oh. going for a title." Yeah, you know, it was just like. It, Ray had just won the Newcomer King tournament. Mm-hmm. He's got all the baggage of being the fifth, you know, middle school professional and all this it's sort a lot of stuff. Hype match. And, yeah. And uh, whereas uh, Soya had just defended his title at the, whatever the one that he fought, um, the very imposing uh, Kuma. Yeah. Uh, who would eat the cake in one bite, you know? <laughs> uh, he had defended a title against him for like the third time in a row. And so it was like, Let's get these two people that we're trying to drum up hype about because the business side of the shogi business is that, like you said, not the most interesting thing. <laughs> Young people are not watching it to the level that they may have done during, you know, maybe dating back to like the Meiji era and everything. And so they need money. And this is a thing that they can hype up. Yeah. Like we've got the current master and the future master. <laughs> Let's have them do this one commemorative match. See and- how close they can get. Right. Uh, I think that it was, more than anything, a way for us to see a different side of this character that we have very sparingly seen, but for... Because it, it, it's kind of the moment where Ray, Ray realizes that he wants to play Shogi, not just that this is his only path. And it, it, it's also a way for Ray to see... And interact with somebody that he's being compared so much to mm-hmm. and to some degree reconcile that because in the couple of times that people say things like that to him directly, we've seen him be both flabbergasted by it and upset by it mm-hmm. and different things like that. But so he can reconcile it to some degree. He can see that they do sort of sink in a way, which is something that had been hinted at to him by Shimada at some point. Um, and then certainly during the the postmortem after he loses and they you know go th- through back to the point where Ray thinks he loses and so says yes that is when you lost and they connect on the you know the, the interpretation of what it's like whenever you realize that you've made the wrong move mm-hmm. and things like that and, and so he's able to see you know to a degree this is someone like me and this could be somebody that I become somehow mm-hmm. and uh, what what can I take from that fact. You know, so it's, it's a point of personal growth for him. And I think that it's the point where he realizes that he wants to play Shogi because when he's riding the train afterwards back home, he realizes that he feels about that match uh, in, in a way that he's never felt about a match before. And that even though he lost, he is fighting the emotion of having had fun mm-hmm. and having... And having a positive feeling about it, as opposed to every other time that he's lost, he's either been frustrated or Destroyed. would just like move it out of his mind because it's time to move on to the next thing, whatever mm-hmm. it is, you know. But this time he loses and realizes that he really enjoyed it. And then whenever he's, you know, he immediately goes to the Shogi Hall and prints out records from uh, either his match or a different Soya match uh I don't, it doesn't really show, 
Um, and then he, you know, almost gets hit by a bus walking on the sidewalk, reading the game records and Shimada has to stop him and, mm-hmm. and they connect about it. And he's like, you really enjoyed that match, didn't you? I know how that feels. Uh, Cause he also has played Soya a million times and playing Soya is this thing that is, you know, you know, be, to be able to play the best at your thing, uh, you know, is certainly special no matter how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that that's his turning point, or at least the turning point where he has to realize how he feels about it. I definitely feel like that is like a specific turning point, but I don't think that's the turning point for the Shogi. I think that came whenever he's like, I have to help out Hina. Because yeah. he made it such a big deal. like, I have to win this match, this match, this match, and this match, and I have to play perfectly if I'm going to help out Hina. Yeah, I think that that's more... I think that's more of... This is the only thing I can do. Mm-hmm. How can I make this help the people that I care about? Not, I want to play Shogi because I like Shogi. Fair enough. I mean, still disagree, but fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, my argument was that this is when he realizes that he likes yeah, Shogi. Like, this is the point where I went from, this is where I'm relying on, to this is fun. I'm doing this for fun. Mm-hmm. I want to do this. I mean, I think both of them are, I want to do this. Well, the other one was, I want to help. This is the only thing Mm -hmm. I can do. Because he couldn't go to the school and talk to the The teacher or the bullies. He couldn't, all he could do was talk to his teacher and think, you know, what can I do? And one of those things is just literally be there for Hina. uh, Talk to her as much as she Mm -hmm. wants to talk about it. And what else can I do? I can play Shogi, rack up a bunch of money, and... If we and if it goes so far as lawyers need to be involved in all this sort of stuff, then I can help the family pay for that. Blah blah. blah which is a sentiment that his teacher immediately is like, "Don't fucking do that. That's literally the worst thing you can do." Uh, but because Ray is just a child who doesn't really, you know, and he's got a one track mind, he can't think about a lot of things. So I don't, I don't think that he wants to play, sh- or that's not mm-hmm. a point of him realizing that he wants to play shogi. That's a point of him wanting to help this family that has helped him so much. And this is one of two things that he is physically capable of doing. Yeah. So I think there's the difference there. There's a difference between wanting to play Shogi because I want to play Shogi mm-hmm. and wanting to play Shogi because I want to help these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. You might be right on that one. <laughs> I often am. Need some more time to digest that. Maybe. <laughs> I have the advantage of having watched this show twice. 2.25 times. Yeah. Because we just watched seven episodes. Yes. Something that we sort of glossed over for the purposes of other things that we were talking about was what it is that happens with Hina. Um, we, we did mention that there's bullying at the school. Her friend gets bullied to the point that she moves schools. And then because Hina was standing up for her, she becomes the target of the bullying. And then we spend like probably a total of seven or eight episodes with that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the arc that is the thick of it is probably about five episodes until the point where, you know, she overcomes the adversity of it. And then there's, you know, cleaning up that has to happen. But mm-hmm. the, the, the thick of the problem is probably about five episodes worth, which for this show and for the arcs that we get for other characters, a significant part. Mm-hmm. So then when you take into account, you know, the buildup and then the cleaning up being, you know, maybe between eight or nine episodes, even, you know, that's almost a fourth Closer to a fifth of uh, the whole show. It's a lot of... It, it explores the idea of bullying. And I think it explores the idea of bullying more so through the people around it than necessarily just Hina. We see the way that she, she deals with it, which is immediately very positive. Because um, she always 
believed in herself about what she did mm-hmm. and uh, is doing the right thing. She's not hitting. Well, she does at one point hit Takagi, the girl who's instigating the bullying. Um, uh, but after the initial outburst, uh, there's she never does that again. And it's all very positive confrontation about how it goes. Like, you know, she says, don't blame me for stealing the teacher's timetable. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you trying to say by insinuating that? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, you know, she's confronting the issue in a positive way almost the entire time. The only time that she slips up is whenever she does uh, tackle the girl, <laughs> whenever she's bad mouthing the fact that Chiho uh, moved schools and how pathetic is that and blah, blah, blah. Uh, um, so there's that one you know, overwhelming overflow of emotion. And then she does, you know, tackle uh, Takagi. I think that the more interesting discussions that are happening during that arc are between Ray and uh, his teacher, uh, Hayashida uh, sensei. And then once Hina's homeroom teacher faints and leaves the the school and the uh, head teacher takes over homeroom duties for her, the impact that he has and the methods that he starts implementing and the discussions that he has with Hina and Akari when they have the parent-teacher conference and with uh, Takagi and her mom and with the other teachers and with, you know, everything that we see from his perspective and everything that we see from uh, Hayashida-san's or Sensei's perspective are way more interesting in the discussion of bullying and what that means, I guess, period. Yeah. Um, I mean, because I mean, a lot of the things uh, that uh, his homeroom teacher like brought up was like you could look up thirty different articles and you could find thirty different ways to stop bullying, but none of them are right. Right. Yeah. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow, that's really on the nose. Right. <laughs> um, you because... think that you'd be like, hey, don't do this. Like, all right, cool, we're going to do that and it's going to work. Perfect. Right. That's actually really interesting to see that because it's true. Yeah. Like, bullying has been like one of those things that happens. Every school, every grade, like, doesn't matter. Right. In every group of people. And not even just in school. It happens just out there, just in the adult life. Yeah. I think that at some point, everybody has been bullied to some degree. Mm -hmm. And even if it's just, like, a friend group and everybody in that friend group is friends, but there's one person that gets picked on a little bit or even, you know, like you or or even just... uh, not even necessarily picked on, but the butt of the jokes. Yeah, um, which I guess is you know to some definitive extent is the definition of being picked on. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that for the purposes of this conversation, bullying is more sinister than what I put you through. Oh yeah, I mean, like whenever he's like, oh yeah, you're a piece of shit, Nick, and it's like, yeah, I know, and it's like. We both know I'm not yeah, a piece of yeah, shit. Yeah, we have a, a you know a clear idea that that's just the dynamic that we've yeah. adopted for how we interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's just funny at this point to us. Oh, yeah. Obviously, I don't feel that way, except I, that I do. I and do. obviously, <laughs> you don't actually accept that I mean that. Except oh, that I just ignore it. And I, I do. Just, I know that. <laughs> right. Uh, so, but even that, to some degree, is bullying, and to some degree. Whenever, if someone is going through that similar situation, whenever they're at their worst, it might run through their mind and it might just be one more stick of kindling for the fire of the current predicament that they're going through. Hey, didn't I tell you I was going through depression? Stop calling me a piece of shit. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's not always appropriate, you know? So 
it's, you know, what I mean to say is that everybody across the planet has been through some degree of boredom. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think to a lesser extent, the vast majority of people have been bullies. Um, I think people who get bullied have been bullies. Oh, yeah. Because there is a... It's a power struggle. Yeah. And, you know, I think more than that, and speaking to other issues outside of bullying, there's a perpetuation of behavior. You know, for the same reason that I guess the most common, uh, you know, story that gets told is uh, dad beats son, son grows up, beats his son, son grows up, you know, and then at some point someone aspires to break the cycle and Mm -hmm. that becomes the inspiring story that we hear about, you know. And and so for the, you know, there's a perpetuation of behavior that happens amongst humanity. And and so I think that if you get bullied, there is a chance that you're going to bully somebody at some point. Yeah, you're going to see someone that's weaker than you and you're like, that's my target. Right, yeah. This is how I finally get to be Powerful. you know, worthy of something in my yeah. own point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's something that everybody goes through. And to Hayashida Sensei's point, there's a million answers and potentially all million of them are wrong. Because, or at least none of them are right for every situation. Yeah. Every answer is only right for their own situation and maybe not even them in some cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there's a million, in what we've been talking about, a million different degrees to which the bullying is happening. There's a million different personalities that are involved in the bullying. Mm-hmm. There's so many variables that you can't put a blanket over it. And, uh, and even in the individual situation, the, the solution that comes up may not have been the right one to begin with. And, I, and so I think that's an extremely interesting conversation to have uh, because it's you know very prevalent these days at least in the general conversation of uh, america uh, there's a lot of stuff about bullying going on um cyberbullying there was a couple of different you know shows and movies that talked about it i think at least as far as high profile ones go the most recent one that i could think of was 13 reasons why Ooh, yeah. um, <laughs> which i didn't watch but i know what it's about and yeah, that's a depressing show <laughs> Yeah, and it's really well so. Done. It's it's a you know something that's being talked about, and it's a conversation that is happening in the same way that the conversation is apparently happening on the internet that Hayashida Sensei shows Ray mm-hmm. and says, "Look, it's, you know, this is a really fucked up problem that nobody knows what to actually do about." Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that a lot of people look at it that way. I think a lot of people just say. Bullying happens, fuck it. And a lot of people say, just fucking nuke the problem. You know? It doesn't exist. No one's actually trying, not, I shouldn't say nobody. The general conversation that's happening, at least on a publicly viewable level, is just a bunch of binary answers, and there's no conversation about, there's nothing constructive happening. Well, a lot of the things nowadays, like just tell your teacher, which they did in this anime, and that teacher's a piece of shit. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, um, she was burnt out. Yeah, which, you know, there's nothing positive about the way that she handled anything, and there's nothing positive about the part of her character that we've been shown. Yeah, we are Uh, seeing the end of her career because she's so stressed out because this happens every year. Someone gets mm -hmm. chosen in the class and they get picked on constantly, and she apparently tried to do things, but nothing was never successful. And so at this point, it's just beaten her yeah. down which she's been beaten down as much as some of the students that mm-hmm. she at different points tried to help or didn't try to help and she, she 
didn't know who to go to to talk about that mm-hmm. either. And so then at some point, she both figuratively and literally collapses, mm-hmm. has to be taken to the hospital and either just resigned from that school or resigned from teaching altogether. We don't know how old she is. They say that she's been teaching for a very long time. She looked too old. Yeah, but in the same way that there's a, in most cases, true stereotype of Japanese people looking very good for a very long time, yeah. uh, that is ev- that is exaggerated in animation. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, you're not wrong. She may have been, you know, 65 or 70 for all we know. Mm-hmm. Uh but you know it it literally mentally and physically destroys her at a point yeah i mean maybe i jumped the gun calling her a piece of shit because like i don't know how long i could personally do that myself and then not have a breakdown myself right um but she also you know it it could have gotten a lot worse but then in defense of your opinion she didn't do the right thing no not at all when she could have and you know like we've been saying we don't know how long she tried to do the right things maybe Mm -hmm. she tried to do the right things for years decades even but never successfully could do it or mm-hmm. to you know varying degrees of success or whatever but uh she she definitely didn't ever go that we see um, and that we can assume at least for the recent years that she's been fighting it and giving up she never knew how to go to anybody else about it you know her superior mm-hmm. um or even maybe people in her family or her friends to even just de-stress about it a counselor <laughs> um yeah, you know, uh, you know, somebody to give her therapy about it, um, about the fact that she was failing, or even the fact that she didn't know how to address it. Yeah. You know, so she's not helping herself, much less the people that she should be helping. Yeah. Well, I mean, you should be helping yourself as well, uh, but she's she's not helping herself, much less her students, and it, it, you know, it's something that destroys her. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot to be argued about in this discussion in general for the same reason that you might initially think that the bully's mother is awful, uh, but she's doing you know, what a parent she's, does. Yeah. She's defending her child. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and a, uh, certainly in the time that it finally starts to come to a head during a very important period of time, they're starting to have to worry about entrance exams to get into high school mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff. And, you know, so, and she's given to be a, uh, strict uh more conservative minded uh japanese mother that you know she's definitely very made up all the time mm-hmm. she takes great care of her appearance uh, though we can assume that she's you know an older person as well because she's got she's got you know face lines and things like that you know so even in the forgiving nature of animation appears older than most of the other adults that we see mm-hmm. even uh, you know, Hayashida sensei, Hayashida sensei doesn't have uh, face lines unless he's smiling or, you know, mm-hmm. really concentrating. Uh, and so, you know, she's focused on her children making their future. And, you know, the very classic sense that we see even in popular uh, media, uh, popular culture in real life of Japan. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it's not just Japan. Like if any student parents brought in, they're going to believe they're a student. They're going to believe the. Generally kid. speaking, yeah. No one's going to be like, yeah, my kid's a piece of shit. Sorry. <laughs> you I've wouldn't think so. <laughs> I mean, I'd be surprised. Uh, not a teacher. Generally speaking, absolutely not. I'd say You're 99% right. yeah. of the time. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that statistic probably. Um, I did like how the new homeroom teacher like checkmated her. Because she was like sitting there like, where's the proof? Where's the proof? Where's the proof that my daughter's a piece of and shit? She just goes, where's your proof? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> 
Right. How can we believe your daughter? Where's her proof? And it's like, <gasps> how dare you? Right. The, yeah, and he definitely, you know, comes in and sweeps in at the end of it because we've, you know, reached the head of the conflict. Uh, it probably would have more or less been over at that point anyways, as far as outward behavior happening mm-hmm. in the classroom. It would have then just been, you know, a dead classroom for the rest of the year. And which would have had all kinds of effects on all the students anyways. Uh, but as far as, you know, actual outward behavior happening, I don't think too much would have actually happened at that point. Mm. I think they would have still been picking on Hinata, but yeah. she was already at the point of, I don't care anymore. If they can do whatever they want, I will, you know, confront them when it's necessary in a positive way. Like she's been showing that she could do at that point already. Mm-hmm. And she's just going to endure it, at least for the purposes of the show. It probably would have been something we didn't see anymore. Yeah, so, we wouldn't have been shown, but I would definitely assume like kids, kids suck. So eventually, there would be like probably like a, maybe a couple weeks of like that dead silence, and then it would come back. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, maybe a thing or two would happen here or there, but I don't think that storytelling wise would have. Uh, I don't know. It wouldn't, wouldn't have, have been it. something that we've seen, and it wouldn't affect the story. And the only thing that we would have seen is like the residual. Because then things. they all graduate middle school and potentially go to a hundred different high schools and yeah. never see each other again. So it doesn't matter mm-hmm. really beyond the lasting effects psycho, uh, you know, psychologically uh, mentally, but because it comes to the head and everything from a literal standpoint gets reconciled, not resolved, but reconciled. Then the head teacher coming in, his role is to clean up and fix and get everybody back on track. Mm-hmm. And so he's able to do it very neatly and quickly uh, because storytelling wise, that's all that needs to happen. Yeah. Uh, it, he, the only thing that continues to last, cause he, you know, he fixes it almost immediately. The only thing that continues to last is the afternoon or after school sessions that he holds with Takagi where they try to figure out what it is that her problem is and how do they then fix it? He doesn't even want to punish her beyond mm-hmm. the, you know, even at the very least, uh, initially perceived punishment of having to stay after school. Um, he, you know, he doesn't want to give her actual detention. He doesn't want to write it on her record. He doesn't want to suspend or expel her or anything like that. He just mm-hmm. wants to uh, not only teach her as a teacher, uh, but teach her as a person, you know, how to get over whatever it is that's causing her to be this way. Yeah. Um, which never uh fully end up doing because we run out of time and it becomes less and less important as time goes on um but he does sort of give her an answer towards the end which gives her pause and at the very least uh changes her expression uh in a way that we've never seen her have an expression before she's always been very dead or when she's doing the bullying she's you know got a smirk Mm -hmm. uh we but you know, she's got those two emotions, the smirk and just the complete apathy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he, at the very least, uh, makes her exhibit an emotion that we don't see prior to. Yeah. I thought they were going to go a little bit further into that, especially whenever they found the replacement home teacher. And he's like, I don't care. Like, I, don't, I can't do this. He's like, no, you could do this. Like, just do it. He's like, well, I'm going to write it on a record. I'm going to write everything down. I'm going to say that she's this. I'm going to say that she's this. I'm going to say she's this. I was like, oh, shit. This is going to go somewhere. Man, never picked up again. Well, because we're not going to follow them into high school. If yeah. we then followed her into high school, um, then it would be a plot point because it would be on her school record. You know, her teachers 
at the high school will see that uh, the teachers at whatever university she decides to try to apply to, if she goes to a university, uh, will see that. And it'll be something that she has to overcome and show that she is now better than if she goes that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, or she goes the other way and, you know, we see her, you know, working a non-skilled job or, you know, not a college education uh, level job. And, you know, it's like this all happened because of blah, blah, blah. And she thinks back on it or whatever. But even if we see any more of any of these characters, we're never going to see her again. No. So none of it matters yeah, anymore. I, I don't know why so there's no reason part. for us to, for that to continue in yeah. any way at all. I have it, no idea why they did that part, though, at that point then. Cause I, I to show like, that it was done narratively for the story we're being told. I mean, like, I thought that was done with uh, before. And then they show, like, that part come up, like, towards the end. I was like... Okay, I guess there's more to this. Well, it provides closure for something that had happened. We see the point where the head teacher is like, I can't continue to be homeroom teacher for two classes, not Mm -hmm. when we've got exams coming up. I have to give this to somebody. And then also to give us that final interaction with Takagi to show that she has a realization about something. That I agree with, but like the whole him, the other, the new homeroom teacher, like, freaking out well it's uh it's one to show that not everybody is either willing or capable of doing the things that the head teacher had been doing he's Mm -hmm. the head teacher for a reason he's been there for a long time or not even just there but a teacher for a long time he views his job in a way that is different to a lot of other teachers that we've seen and uh he's not going to be the teacher anymore of that class. So it has to be given to somebody. And for this to be the last interaction that he has with Takagi has to be because he's no longer going to be her teacher. Mm -hmm. He can't keep holding her after school and having these interactions. If he's not her teacher, not his problem anymore. And so instead of just having like a, I handed over the duties to another teacher and this is the last interaction and then we're done. It's, you know, more fleshed out and showing this is the person that I'm giving this responsibility to. And this is the way that this person reacts to it. Okay. Yeah. I like that answer actually. (laughs) Good. Good. (laughs) I agree that you like that answer. The (laughs) fucking thing was like, well, I agree. You agree. Right. Shoot me now. Is there anything else that you want to discuss? I don't know that there's really... A whole lot left. I think we've kind of given our general overview on the entire show. Uh, you know, it it ends rather sweetly with um, Hinata enrolls in Ray's uh, high school, where he'll be a third year, she'll be a first year, and you know they're walking off for the first day of school together at the end of the show, and life continues on, and everybody's moving forward to varying degrees. Everybody has gained something that helps fill the space that was left by different things that had been lost in their lives. We see growth in all, not all, the vast majority of the characters that we spend time with, or even if not growth, a uh, reestablishment of resolution and what they want out of their lives. So it's just, you know, it's, it's a story about people trying to regain something and even if they don't regain something, maybe they find out they never had to regain something. Uh, that life works in that way. And uh, you can just move forward and find 
something even if it's nothing new, even if for only a while. Yeah. Um, and, it's, you know, it's just a story about people and it's just a story about life, which, you know, is the obvious answer to what is the definition of your general slice of life show. But this one actually does it as opposed to a lot of things that just get thrown the slice of life moniker uh, that just end up being, I guess, more literally a slice of life and that we just spend, you know, a, a school semester with some kids that become friends mm-hmm. and that's it, yeah. you know, where it's way more shallow, whereas this actually explores uh, the progression of time in the lives of several different characters at several different stages of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of different stages because we I mean we have high school, middle school, to up to sixty-six year olds. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge difference. I mean, right? Yeah, and all of them are kind of shown with that duality, like you said, throughout the whole entire series of like, hey, everything's crashing around me, and I don't know what to do to a, some sort of resolution. Uh, I thought it was really done very well. Um, I still hate you for making me watch Slice of Life. <laughs> and making me feel, but I am glad I took this in. Some stories, while hard to do so, are worth taking in. And uh, the, the I think that slice of life has almost always, uh, and will continue to be, my favorite style of anime. Though I don't only watch slice of life, what it brings is something that's relatable. And a relief from shows that are just only fighting or mm-hmm. exploring similar themes to an extreme level, you know, where it, the, the fate of the world is at stake and things like that. And that can be really exciting and a great escape from reality for a different reason. At the same time, if that's all you watch in all your media, you know, if the only thing that you ever watch is mech anime and the only thing that you ever watch is... Uh, Marvel movies and the only thing that you ever read are uh, whatever the equivalent might be, you know, high octane action stuff. It's just exhausting for a different reason. And to be able to take it slow and just experience a nice, you know, story that could be your story Mm -hmm. is, you know, uh, mentally relieving in a lot of ways. Another thing that this show does really well is it paces out the story in a way that makes it digestible. Because you'll spend, you know, six episodes on the hard stuff and interspersed throughout that and then bookending it as well. You'll get bits of, you know, comic relief, which as by definition is there for this purpose. uh, But it's not just a dumb joke in the middle of it all the time. Sometimes it is. Uh, You'll get episodes of them solving a smaller problem Mm -hmm. or... Uh, you know, just hanging out and breathing in the relief of what they just finished. You mm-hmm. know, uh, the, the pacing of this uh, show is done very well. Yeah, I agree on that. And even just like sometimes that uh, pacing is shown and that relief is given in the style that the show is, because sometimes it just changes what it's is in itself. There's mm-hmm. that bit that we, there's, you know, that, whole like three minute bit that we spend with smith uh the half foreigner at the show he called him with the blonde hair and glasses yes where he we just see his morning routine he wakes up and you know gets ready makes breakfast and it's 
for the most part, a single shot of that process that he goes to the Shogi Hall, he has a match, he does, he finds a cat, and then that's the end of half of an episode. Mm-hmm. And it has no consequence for anything. It's just a second for us to breathe from something else. And even yeah. in that one, that single shot of his morning routine, the flow of that animation is different from the rest of that show. Mm-hmm. From, you know, a, a, a mechanical standpoint of the art. And the, for them to change in the middle of the show in that fashion, it's just another example of how they pace themselves very well and the overall quality of the artistry of the show. I think they did that a lot. Not like the artistry, but like with the characters themselves. Because uh, I know they were, there's basically, like, I want to say like four or five uh, just one-off characters that are in like one episodes. And it tells like a really good story for that one person. Uh, the one that like kind of like struck me the most that was just a one-off was uh, the guy with the bird. He kind of went there, just kind of feeling down because uh, his oh yes pigeon the uh, the guy who uh, Ray beats for the title of newcomer king yes yeah he was also a uh, a, a pigeon racer yes he raised pigeons for the purpose of racing and yeah we and that was kind of put in a very interesting place too because. We know that uh, Nikado had lost to him mm-hmm. and had lost to him in a, you know, sort of kind of dishonorable way yeah. where he forced a three move repetition, which forced a draw. And then they had to do another match. And Nikado, who, as we previously stated, is in perpetual poor health, uh, faints during the rematch and so has to concede. Mm-hmm. And so doesn't make it to the final against Ray. And so Ray fights him and we don't even know we, we don't even see the match where ray beats him we, we just get told that mm-hmm. he had beat him after having spent the half episode with the opponent uh which takes place both during and immediately after having beaten uh, nikaido mm-hmm. and so you know we're kind of like oh he's kind of an asshole you know he knew that he couldn't beat nikaido so he had to take advantage of his poor health uh, but now we're going to humanize him and show how he got to this point and how Nikaido and Ray will inspire him to become better again because mm-hmm. he has sort of stagnated in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we'll also, and you know, it ends with, all right, now that I feel better, uh, you know, about myself and where I should go in my career, I'm going to go into the match with Ray and I'm going to do it. And then, if he doesn't, and we don't even see the match, mm-hmm. like, you know, not even immediately after in the next episode or the next half of that episode, however it falls, we don't even find out that Ray wins. We find out Ray wins, like, you know, as far as literal turn or not turn, but literal sequence of events goes is much after, much later after that fact, like mm-hmm. maybe even a day or two after the fact of having become the newcomer king. Yeah, I think someone's just like, yeah, congratulations on the win. He's like, ah, hey, right, thanks. yeah. <laughs> I like that little yeah, story arc. Though. That was a good growth example of that. One episode, they told mm-hmm. all that. I was like, okay. And it provides a vehicle for Nikado to have to go into the hospital for an extended period of time mm-hmm. and to then come back, having finally come up with a new, a prior to unheard of technique in Shogi, uh, which was his aspiration. And that's how we conclude his character arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we only see him after that during the Kisho tournament, whenever he's uh, co-presenting with Ray, but nothing happens with him during that. We don't get any real character moment with it. No. He's just there. So we, you know, we've concluded his character arc with him having finally come back from hospital in 
you know, a glorious way and, you know, showing that he's still himself and he overcame everything and he made a new technique and he got to use it. And, you know, that's his thing. And it wins. So, you know, more than anything, that's what that was, was a vehicle to instigate that situation. Yeah. Uh, but on the other side of that coin, provide an opportunity for seeing something else for the sake of story pacing. Yeah. <laughs> like you were saying. But in any case, that about does it for me. Uh, is there anything else that you had thought about? No, I think anything we... that comes to mind in the last moments before we close out. I think we covered it all. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm happy with what we've spoken about. If you um, let's do a rating. If you had to give a rating out of ten, um, I would continue to give the second season a ten. Oh, that's right, you gave it your ratings um, already. I would it, it, even with having just you know finished rewatching it. It's now been almost a month since I finished watching the first season. So I'm not complete. And I watched it, you know, almost straight through, or at least as an experience on the whole straight through, obviously I didn't watch 44 episodes in one day or anything. Uh, but so it's harder for me to separate the two seasons mm-hmm. than it was initially where I had a year of separation yeah. and I was able to give a rating for the first season immediately, at least to myself. I, I think that I would continue to give it a nine. And I, I think that it's mostly because if I can remember what I felt back then, you know, now three years ago, it was that I felt like we spent too much time building the foundation for what was going to happen. Because it's like almost half the show, half the season. You know, it's like 11 or 12 episodes that we're still doing foundation building. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, at the time, I didn't know I was going to get a second season. And, and so I thought that that was too much for a single season to be building still. Uh, in the picture of the entire 44 episodes, it's acceptable. Um, I think I would still give it a 9, though, uh, which is obviously, you know, a very high score. Yeah. As a whole, considering the two seasons, if I think about the show in general, I think I would give it a 10. Okay, okay. So 9, 10, 10. Uh, first season, I would give an 8. Uh, like I said, I like that one a lot because of that foundation. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that seeing those characters and going through like their thought processes and they kind of stepped away from that a little bit in season two and they kind of actually focused on like just the characters themselves. And then for the second season, I'd give a seven overall, I'd say eight. Hmm. It's interesting to me that you appreciate the first season so much because it spends so much time doing the foundation mm-hmm. But then you don't appreciate the second season as much, if not more, for giving you the payoff of all that buildup that it puts you through. I like the the characters with the focus on the characters and what they're going through in that first season. And in the second season, there it's there. It's very prevalent. But the focus on Shogi is a lot more. And not knowing Shogi or not seeing like kind of what they're doing, it kind of puts me off. I mean, it's a very much more prevalent in the second season than in the first season. And they're making a lot of like those dramatic clicks, and I don't know what that pawn does. I don't know what that golden knight does. Yeah, but you don't have to. It, it, I don't. If you were to see a chessboard and they would do the same thing, I feel like it would be like, oh shit, he put that there? Mmm. Yeah, but I think that's an example of... Uh, Which is just a cultural You know, something difference. that other shows do as well for different reasons and in different with different vehicles... It's one of those things where 
if you happen to know, mm-hmm. and even you know somebody that knows how to play shogi, I would assume that the majority of those people in the world that know how to play shogi wouldn't immediately understand the impact of any one of those moves. In the same way that I know how to play StarCraft, but when I watch professional StarCraft, that's literally a different game, and mm-hmm. it's lost on me. But it, it, you know, it's an example of it's a bonus if you understand it. Not essential to the story that's being told. It's just a bonus yeah. if you happen to also be in that world. See, and I, I mean, think that they knew that because how many professional shogi players are out there that would that, that also them watch anime and yeah. that also would happen to pick up this show. It's a very small audience, and I don't think they were going for the audience of 200 people or whatever that number might actually that's be. That's exactly you know? the audience they were aiming for, and they hit the mark. <laughs> Everybody else is just bonus. Mm. Um, I, I, like I said, it just kind of put me off on that, mm-hmm. uh, just on the focus of shogi because it they did a really well job of like having the shogi board while they're also doing character stuff in between but a lot of it was just a shogi board in some episodes there was and i think i said it earlier but i think there was only two or three times that there was a literal 10 second show of what was happening Mm -hmm. and you know the one that i remember most is uh one with ray where he's just playing a placement match at the shogi hall it's not even one of the tournaments uh and that's during a point where he's, you know, still figuring out one, his relationship with Nikado and two, uh, what Shogi means to him without finding any resolution. I think this is during the first season, actually. And he, it, there's a like a literal 10 to 13 second uh, just interchange of place of pieces being placed. Uh, that literal 10 to 13 second thing does nothing but set scenery. Uh and therefore is no more egregious than spinning the opening of an episode showing the literal scenery of the countryside that somebody might live in, you know? I'm not saying it's like yeah. egregious like how much they like put in the shogi, but I mean the focus of character versus shogi is a lot more in season two. It's a like the... I guess what I mean to say is that I think you're using the word focus wrong here. Maybe I am. Maybe I mean because with the character a lot of uh, in the uh, season one, they were outside the shogi hall a lot more, right? Because we were establishing characters in their situations. Exactly. Whereas you know, obviously Ray's entire not entire life, but the vast majority of his life revolves around shogi, the uh, it being his career, and you know, a lot of the other characters that we meet are, who are also professional shogi players are it's you know the majority of their life, mm-hmm. and a lot of what we see is the interactions with other professional shogi players. So of course we're going to see a lot of shogi. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense to what it is. I mean, I, what I'm probably saying is that if I knew shogi or anything at all to kind of see like what they're doing, I would appreciate that a lot more and probably rate it a little bit higher instead of being a little bit put off by it. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely understand how understanding shogi could affect your appreciation Mm -hmm. of those moments, but I guess what I mean to say more than anything is that I think that that would just be a bonus, not necessarily part of your formula for your baseline appreciation. I mean, and I don't even mean to say that you should be giving it a yeah, nine or ten. Yeah. I just, um, I mean, we're discussing. I'm just trying to figure out the words that you're using. I guess, yeah, which I'm not good at words at all, because <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of like how to how my thought process behind it all was Mm -hmm. because i know we watched like half of season one in like two days 
half of season one and half of season two in like two days. Yeah, we really did gun through it um, for that you know section that we went through two weeks ago mm-hmm. when you were in town. <clears throat> and then we just blasted through seven episodes yeah. tonight. So I'm trying to think like... I think what I'm trying to explore more than anything mm-hmm. is, you know, you... You know, this is the puzzle I'm trying to put together. Yeah. You like the first season more than the second season. Mm-hmm. The reason that you like the first season more is because it spends so much time, you know, place setting. And, but the point of place setting is to then receive a payoff. And hopefully if it's done correctly, is the whole reason mm-hmm. that you end up liking a story. Yeah. And the second season is that payoff. And so it just seems interesting to me that you like it less than the thing that allows you to enjoy it, you mm-hmm. know? And then the reason, or at least the the one reason that I've so far given you the time to give <laughs> is, <laughs> is that it spends, you know, so much time on Shogi where I don't think that it actually does. I think that it's just the place setting for the interactions that are happening. Yeah. I mean, I think the first season just hit me more like emotionally too. Yeah, and in the same way that whenever you first come across a new thing, it will always have a bigger uh, initial impact mm-hmm. than whatever it may be that follows. Certainly if it's an entirely brand new thing in the same way that uh, some people feel about A New Hope or The Fellowship of the Ring or whatever else there might be out there, like John Wick, uh, the first one people... On the whole, more people like the first one more than anything. Yeah, they're both fantastic. Uh, the, or at the very least, it's very easy to hold nostalgia for your introduction to a new world. You know? Yeah, I can see that. Um, I I thought that a lot of the... I mean, I know that whenever we did like that power through, there's like two episodes that I actually had to like walk away from. Yeah. The Yeah, and, and definitely... Depending on the way that you personally rate things, mm-hmm. uh, that obviously is a different formula for everybody. Um, if yours is to uh, put a heavier weight on individual moments that affect you, yes, uh, rather than anything, which I guess you know, this is also a conversation about the difference in watching sixty point two days worth of something and having the mindset of analyzing everything on a larger scale than individual moments like mm-hmm. I do um, versus having seen whatever your hour count is, <laughs> which we know to be considerably less. Yes. Uh, and where the individual moments stand out more where I've had like, you know, literally 20,000 individual moments mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, and, and so they start to fade away. Yeah. And it, this isn't not, I'm not going to go there, but <laughs> The and so and also in general, uh, I have been told that I am of a much more analytical and cold and heartless mindset, and so will pick apart from a very scientific standpoint the structure and my what I define uh, as skilled writing and storytelling mm-hmm. is. And general artistry, because I like to put numbers to things, even to things that some people might argue don't get numbers, like art. Everything gets a number. Art gets numbers. <laughs> there's, there's, you can make anything objective if you want to. 
Well, yeah, and I'm the complete opposite. And if you have the experience, too. (laughs) I'm a very emotional person, and I do tend to rate things based off of how I feel about things. Mm -hmm. Uh, As much as I do want to look at stuff. Or at the very least, they get a heavier weight in your formula. Mm -hmm. I mean, as much as I don't want to. Heavier weight than I give it. Yeah, because I would love to sit there and be like, I love analytics. I like data. I like proof. I like... Mm -hmm. uh, hypothesis and stuff like that if something makes me feel something that i haven't felt or a different way of feeling or if it makes me feel an emotion very strongly that has a high impact on me and i i enjoy that Mm -hmm. as much as it makes me sad sometimes i enjoy that right (laughs) i had to walk away because i was about to cry yeah happened a couple more times in that first season right yeah, um, and and then also, as we've mentioned a couple of times, I've now seen it twice mm-hmm. over the course of, you know, two to three years. Uh, so I've had a lot of time to think about it and then experience it again, uh, you know, two to three years older. I live in a different city than I did then and, all, you know, a bunch of different things. So I've got a different lens than you, even just inherently disregarding the way that I would, that anyone would look at it anyways. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, that's all part of, you know, what it is that we're talking about, but I guess that just about does it. Um, if, uh, you liked this at all, <laughs> <laughs> let us know, depending on how it goes. It's hard to do a lot of episodes just based on one show like we're doing for this this is kind of just like a a feeling out the waters of how this goes and how people think about it and how we think about it you know after the uh, editing process and the final product comes out um what i think i want to do more than anything would be monthly or bi-monthly state of the industry uh episodes of you know state of the anime industry episodes where we talk more about just anime in general. Maybe we cover how we're feeling about a couple of different shows that we might be actively watching uh, or have watched since the last time we get together for this. Which, of course, as we stated at the top, Nick's, Nick lives in San Antonio, which is you know only about an hour, hour and a half away from me, uh, unless I move to the north side at some point. But, uh, you know, aside from that hurdle, it just... There's so much anime, and I'm not going to make Nick watch one all the anime that i do or any individual anime uh i've sort of i've told him to just watch more just in general and whatever it is that interests him even if he only watches one or two shows a season or one or two shows every other season whatever uh just so that i can start building him up to have a more generalized opinion on what is happening in the anime world because I just need to talk about it and I've got next to nobody to talk about it with. And, uh, so that's, you know, this is more just like my selfish idea of how to finally do that. <laughs> but so if, uh, if this is, if that sounds like something that everybody would be interested in, uh, you know, all, uh, five of you that listen, uh, regularly, at least, um, I might just do it anyways, just because it's relatively enjoyable. Um, I'm here. So it's four. Although, <laughs> uh, then, you know, maybe let's just continue anyways, but definitely would appreciate whatever feedback there is about it. Um, if you've seen this show, then, you know, I guess let me know what your opinion about it is. You know where to see all of our things. 
It's, uh, you know, on Twitter and Instagram is uh, ears underscore stamps. Uh, our email is dog ears and timestamps at gmail.com, all spelled out, not an ampersand. Um, if you search for us on all the platforms, as far as the actual podcast goes, it's dog ears space ampersand timestamps. We're on all of them, except for Spotify, uh, because for some reason SoundCloud uh, won't let Spotify catch the RSS feed hmm. because they're competitors. Yeah, yeah. Um, makes sense. And so uh, you can look for us everywhere but Spotify. That might change soon. I'm looking at things. Uh, so find us where you want. Let us know what you think. Uh, we'll see y'all. Well, I don't even want to tell you what y'all see us next in because I don't know when I'm going to post this. Uh, it might be soon. So maybe you'll see us next Wednesday with more of Seven Eves, or maybe you'll see us at some point next Monday with uh, Chernobyl, if we ever actually do that, like we said we would, or whatever else comes after those two things. Uh, <laughs> so, in any case, I'm Will Hedrick, and this is Doggers and Timestamps. <laughs>